What's up and welcome back to Nostalgia Pod 2018 Year in Review. Uh, although we are going to be talking about some of the pop culture that's been going on recently. I am Pat Sheen with my co-host Dave Martinson. Dave, we're talking trends today. We're talking superlatives, winners and losers, but we're also talking Roma. Yeah, we are. <laughs> and we're going to be talking best of movies next week. We talked best of music this past week and the week before that was best tv so if you're trying to figure out how should i be spending this week between christmas and new year's uh, check out those podcasts and see what you should be catching up on Uh, and one thing you should definitely be doing before you do any of that is clicking subscribe on our youtube rating us five stars on itunes uh, leaving a comment on our soundcloud and going there to follow us and listen to us anyway you ingest your podcast into your ear brains why don't we start with something else people should be watching roma by alfonso Cuarón. i need to take more spanish to be able to say that Cuarón. it's not that hard dog Come nah, on. it's 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 hard to me <laughs> everybody knows him anyone that's tuned into movies i would say knows him he made gravity he also directed children of men harry potter prisoner of azkaban as well as some other films that are not as well known but this is a film that is going to be garnering a lot of attention as an oscar contender for the best picture and it's already won the venice film festival and many other festivals it's either won or been runner-up the interesting thing about this film is i watched this on netflix and it was released on netflix on december 14th i'm going to start with this question we'll kind of go from there is this a film that you think should win Best Picture? Yeah, I mean, that's kind of been the, the talk for most of the time now, is that it's either the Best Picture frontrunner, or at least in like the top three, I would say it's between Roma, Stars, Board, and probably The Favorite, I would say, are the three with any real chance to win. Um, I don't think Green Book could sneak in there, and that's the only one I think had a realistic chance recently. So it's those big three. And... You know, I'm thinking about it because I think what Roma what what Roma winning means versus what a Star is Born winning means are two very different things. And I'm still not quite sold on where I stand with that, but in terms of pure uh, movie making, pure film criticism, I think Roma's a better film for sure. So I guess if if that's all we're basing it off of, then yeah, I think it should win. Um, but the interesting thing to me is just the delivery method, right? You watched on Netflix. I also watched on Netflix. I was not planning to. I wanted to see in the theater. I was lucky enough to have have it playing by me recently. Um, but And that's kind of the clout that Quaron brings to uh, this movie, is even though it's a Netflix film, he's able to get it in like 200 theaters in the U.S. and like 600 overseas and, you know, giving people the opportunity to see it Uh the way he intended if they if they so choose and i think the thing that sat with me is i definitely didn't have like the best sound watching it at home i think that's i mean and it was probably one of the first times i'm like man i wish i had a bigger tv i wish i had a better tv um i usually don't feel that way about uh, television but and and i watch so many movies in the theater that's usually not an issue right but in the case of roma i i was like damn i really i feel like i'm i'm neglecting the experience i mean i still turn off my phone i still uh, watch it all the way through. I, you know, it's a long movie, but I still felt like I was not quite getting the best experience. Yeah. You know? No, I, I definitely agree. I, <clears throat> I watched it. I put my phone down, put it on airplane mode. But, um, you know, the the knock I think that has been there's been several critiques of this film that I think are fair. But the one that I think is probably the most widely um, made is that it's a little slow at parts, and uh, for having some really amazing um bigger scenes you know um set designs and just beautifully shot moments there's a lot of uh monotony and a lot of um just feeling like okay i'm actually watching this made cleo in, in everyday life and kind of what she goes through i mean he the even the opening credit scene it's it's kind of slow and it sets the pace of the movie which is great but I found myself going back to my phone and I actually found myself being like, I wish I did see this in the theater because I wouldn't be checking my phone. I'd be, it'd be in my pocket right now. Like I would just feel like I don't want to be looking at it and I would have that social expectation of not to be checking my phone. Um, you mentioned that you feel like this is a better movie than, than A Star is Born or at least a, a better 
concept, would you say? I don't know, because I guess it's all subjective. But what do you think makes this above A Star is Born for you? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I think um, Roma is just like a superior piece of filmmaking. I think it's incredibly masterful throughout, and it's just... It's it's so in your face. It's like hard to deny, you know. I mean, Quaron actually shot the movie himself. Like he did the cinematography. He was behind the camera. He even did some of the sound mix because uh, of the way schedules worked out. Like um, he used to work with Emmanuel uh, Lubeski a lot, but he couldn't get him uh, to you know schedules to match up for Roma. So he did it himself, which is something he had never done before. Uh, it obviously, is very uncommon in general. And despite the fact that he was newer to the, those other aspects of filmmaking it still came out so great and i think you know i mean one thing like the black and white uh, monochrome color palette of the film obviously is very striking stands out right away uh, but you get used to it and i think it actually kind of fit the story but um the cinematography speaking of like just the way his camera moved whether it would like pan across the street as they were walking on the sidewalk or be like maybe longer shots where there's like the paramilitary's training uh, with the staffs, right? Um, or even more like establishing shots of Mexico City. I think I think the camera's fantastic, and like you mentioned, the movie's very deliberate, very um, committed to the story it's telling, and that takes a lot of attention in terms of not just rushing the story. And I think the plots kind of serve, like you said, in the monotony and kind of the message of the film, uh, which I would say just love family, things like that, uh, is served through, you know, mundane things like cleaning up dog shit and young kids being obnoxious, right? Kids are the worst, man. I just couldn't help. (laughs) I, I couldn't help but just marvel at just the whole enterprise and I also found myself really enraptured just by the, uh, just by the both the visual visual stylings, but also just the tenderness of the story, which again is more about the granular aspect of of what what goes into love than any kind of like broad sweeping gesture. So in a sense, it's almost like the anti-Star is born, which is much more crowd pleasing and in your face and still awesome and very entertaining, you know, but they're so different. Um, but I, I just think a, a movie like Roma is just really impressive and unlike anything else I saw this year. But w- w- what did you think in regards to, like you mentioned, it's a little slow and you felt you were more, maybe more distracted than I was. And what, was holding you back from maybe investing more in the movie. Yeah, you know, I, I, it's interesting because I felt like the scenes where it really gripped me, I, I was totally it. Um, you know, this took me on a roller coaster ride of emotions. But I think <clears throat> when you get down to that monotony, um, it works to kind of establish the point that this is a small story about this uh servant made for this family uh going through a very difficult time in her life and trying to understand the the pain that she's going through while all these other things are happening around her and i think that's probably what i appreciate most about this film is it really creates a world that is very realistic and while she's you know walking to the movie theater there's so much liveliness and life going on in the world around them and um even like the shots in the movie theater where there's so many different things going on, whether it's like the nod to gravity by Marooned or it's like, you know, seeing people making out or seeing people getting up and going to the bathroom. Like it's very, it feels very capturing, but those times, those downtimes really just, it felt like it was very fast paced and really gripping and then very just lost me when it slowed down. Um, I do think as a piece of art, this is a great achievement as a movie. It's, obviously fantastic and it's hard to really like these critiques are things that if i brought these to other movies i would be basically saying every other movie is shit like this is just a really well-made movie um (laughs) but i think in terms of like a star is born or those other movies that i might consider like top tier i think it comes down to preference like what do you look for from movies and it's kind of like do you want the art house film or do you want to see Scorsese like, you know, with like the, the musical drops and things like that. And if you, you can appreciate both and respect both. I think I recently have been leaning more towards the latter in that. Yeah. You know, and I was reading, uh, 
some critiques on the film, and I know uh, Richard Brody, pretty well known for The New Yorker, he was actually pretty critical in terms of how Roma treats Cleo, obviously the lead protagonist played by Yalitza Aparicio, her first role, and I thought she was very yeah. good in terms of playing a subdued, Subtle role. Uh, angelic character that also happens to be going through a lot and, you know, really having a tough time generally, right? But his critique was that because she's so soft-spoken and frankly does not speak a lot in this film, she's almost like not really served by the story. She's almost more of a cipher in terms of like the angelic uh, working poor person, which is a bit of a trope. And it's interesting because this film was made, it's very autobiographical about Cuarón's experience. I mean, obviously it's taking place in 1970, 1971, Mexico City. Uh, We see the Corpus Christi Massacre uh, up close in the film, and Cuarón was 10 at the time when that came out. Uh, the two movies we see in the film, Marooned and then uh, that French war movie, were both movies that were foundational to Cuarón growing up, and the whole relationship of being in, you know, like a uh, upper middle class uh, living in the Roman neighborhood in Mexico City was Cuarón's experience, and he had a live-in uh, housekeeper like Cleo, and that's what the movie was dedicated to, but it almost seemed like it was really just Quaron's perspective, and I don't know, like maybe the perspective of uh, the youngest kid in the movie, who is probably like the stand-in for Quaron in real life, right? So like I understand that, and I guess that makes sense. Be- and like we can even think about it when you talk when we see the paramilitaries, right? Uh, with uh, Fermin and all of them, right? Then we see um, uh, Zovek, that dude who does like the pose, right? Who's like I was a real person who was, like, linked to, like, training the right-wing uh, fighters, but was never proven, really. And Clarkwood just has them in there anyway as, like, fact, but it's fine. Um, but just, like, there's no real comment on the politics. There's no real comment on her having uh, a child out of wedlock, right? We don't know her, her stance uh, on this, really. Uh, you know, we don't know the, the norms of abortion. Nothing's really said, right? And I think that's just kind of... Anywhere we could have put Cleo in the story, uh, we never really get her side or her take. We just kind of see what happens. And I think that's a deliberate choice. And it wasn't a problem for me, but I can understand that observation. I think it does make some sense. Uh, but it wasn't a problem for me. Yeah, you know, it's... I think... So, what, in an interview that he did, I forgot with who, Quoran uh, talked about how there's... This is supposed to be shot kind of like a memory, in a way. And how these are supposed to just be like you're looking back at these things in your mind and you're seeing them just at the way that they were, not necessarily um, accurate or inaccurate, just whatever that was. Um, and I think that that comes across really well, especially like the the her Cleo racing to the ocean to and you know, near the end to try to save the the two children that were being swept away to the sea. Um, you know that scene like walking to the movies or the way that um they they shoot the massacre you know like all those different scenes are are done really well and i think i appreciate him not making the comment on these different things and not putting a a political spin on because i think he wanted to keep it really down to this experience and how you know in a way it's, it's a juxtaposition against the mom who is also going through this incredibly difficult time in in her life and how Cleo handles it and how the mother handles it and I think if you started to bring the political aspects in or making commentary on these different things it makes a story about something it's not which is it's about family it's about what is what does it mean to be part of a family where do you find meaning within all these moments of pain and and loss and fear and I think Koran I I give him credit for not doing that because he could have easily tried to say something that didn't need to be said to tell a story this beautifully um you know you mentioned that quran uh was a cinematographer for this which doesn't usually happen if you're writing directing producing um what what scenes like stood out to you in terms of like shots because i think there was a lot in this movie that was really just like striking cinematography wise yeah good question um i think definitely the the shot at the at the training ground where Cleo's doing the pose 
uh, stood out to me. Uh, like I said before, that shot of the camera panning parallel with Cleo walking down the sidewalk, I really liked. Um, let's see. There was uh, the movie theater shot you mentioned before. I thought it was really cool. That was an interesting angle. Um, the beach scene. Um, I mean, there, there's so many like close-up scenes, too. Like, like maybe like the the car yeah. in the tunnel, uh, and at the end of the movie, I mean, and I think just in general, like the cinematography, I mean, it's 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 shot on um, sixty five millimeter film and looks like seventy millimeter when you actually see it, and so I mean, in general, it just the movie just looks uh, better than other things because it was sh- shot in a certain way. But uh, anything else? Yeah, you know you? this, the whole time that they were on vacation for New Year's Eve, really. There was a lot I, th- I thought of beauty there, not only when they expanded out into like the wildfire and all the stuff going on there and like showing the landscape of where they are in, you know, beforehand, but then also when they bring it down to like the, the servants party, like down below and how like that felt like such like a little bodega like place. But then they bring it back to like the dancing of like the the main family party. And uh, I just thought that whole like sequence was really, really uh fantastic it's it's a great film and i think it rightfully is it going to be in the discussion for best picture if this wins best picture how do you see this affecting the landscape of how movies are i don't know like of just movies in general if a netflix product is now winning best picture yeah well that's the funny thing is the movie is on netflix in theory the majority of people would see it on Netflix. However, because Netflix doesn't release its ratings, it's tough to gauge how many people have watched it since the 14th. Uh, we can look at the box office numbers and see, you know, relative to how many theaters in, it's done pretty well in terms of just straight box office here in the States. And again, it was in some other theaters. I know, like, the theaters it was in Mexico were selling out all the time, you know. So it's funny. It's almost like the awareness of the film has driven people to the theater and then it's hard for us to know if people just know it's on Netflix, know anything about it. You know, it's really unknown. Um, and I've kind of struggled on like, I would, I kind of wish this could have just got a 2000 theater run in the States. You know, on the other hand, the fact that this is going to reach in theory, way more people than never would have because of being on Netflix right away. Um, and getting an actual marketing push from Netflix because they're invested in the movie because they have distribution. Um, that's probably actually better, you know, but um, in terms of it being a Netflix film and winning, it's funny because it's hard to like, I, I don't really like think of it as like a Netflix film. It's just a movie Netflix bought to, to, to put on their platform. Mm-hmm. You know, it's like Netflix didn't produce this. They just bought distribution rights. Uh, Quaron had right. it produced and basically, and then Netflix helped market it after they got involved. Um now, it would say something about the Academy voters voting for something. I mean, there has been a stigma about Netflix. Remember, just last year, they were refusing to put uh, movies in runs, and they were disqualifying themselves from, like, Khan and other music, uh, film festivals, mm-hmm. right? Uh, so they've, they've already evolved a little bit in that regard. But in terms of what it says, I don't know, because you could almost see Netflix, like, reversing back if they get this win, because it would just kind of, like they could just pat themselves on the back and know that they can't really do any wrong so i can really see going either way it's tough yeah (laughs) i I really agree with you um it's it's tough to say and it's interesting because i think the the irishman is supposed to be coming out next year i think and i could see that being another film that potentially could gain some awards buzz if uh scorsese is able to uh give us a film that's his typical Scorsese greatness. Um, and that will continue to propel the conversation. And that will be a movie that is created and produced and funded by Netflix. Um, so I think that that will be the one that really will tell us like what direction this is going to go on, go in. And if this is going to be Netflix's new big thing is like, they want to be in these awards discussions all the time, or if just having these, you know, uh, these films that are made by the the artists and they are just like, okay, put it on our platform. Here's a shitload of money just so that people are driving there. It'll be interesting, you know, yep. um, going to, going to be interesting. I also think, um, you know, 
was listening to the big picture with Sean Fennessy and Amanda Dobbins. One thing that they brought up that I thought was really interesting, they talk about a star is born and how, you know, it had a chance to potentially take the major categories at the Oscars. I think, uh, I think best director is definitely going to go to Koran. Oh yeah. Um, he's like a ridiculous betting favorite right now. Um, and he should be, he's the, it's, again, we just talked about it. He's, it was the best piece of directing, you know, and, it, and he's going up against a good year. It's going up against, uh, Bradley Yorgos. Cooper's debut role, uh, uh, Yorgos Lanthimos, who definitely has his own style, Barry Jenkins, Damien Chazelle. Uh, it's, it's, it's impressive competition, but, and Spike Lee as well, who, you know, could get steam for lifetime achievement stuff. But yeah, I think Huaron should win. It's funny because he won before he won for gravity and if if when he I'm gonna say when he wins, five of the last six best directors will have gone to Mexican men. And it's funny because Juan Cuaron won. He was the first Latino person, period, to win best director. And since he'll have won a second time, Inarichi won twice, and of course Del Toro won last year. The only one to get in on that, uh, break that up, was uh, Chazelle for La La Land. So uh, yeah, I expect that to be uh, Cuaron's. It's his to lose right now. We don't. I don't know if I have much more to say about this. Do you? I really hope people watch it. And again, it's it's not like the most social movie. It's long. It's in Spanish subtitles. It's black and white. So it's like it's not every. You can't do this for every hang. So you really have to commit to this movie. But if you can't go to the theater, don't want to go to the theater, that's okay. Just turn the phone off and like you know commit to it because I really think it's more worth worth the viewing experience to commit to the movie that way i agree why don't we jump into trends some superlatives who won and who lost 2018 um you know we're going to be touching on tv movies music and just pop culture in general at this point um you know maybe i think i'll just kick it off as one thing i just wanted to uh touch on maybe we'll go a little bit more into it next week because i'm sure we'll, we'll each have at least one of these type of movies on our list documentaries what a fucking year for documentaries, man. Um, you know, Won't You Be My Neighbor, Minding the Gap, RBG, Free Solo, Andre the Giant, Momentum Generation, um, just to name a few of the, the really excellent documentaries that came out this year, and that, that garnered a lot of box office success this year. Yes. And so not only awards acclaim, and, and just acclaim in general is things that are, people should be watching, but making some goddamn money. It's awesome to see. Um did you have a favorite documentary this year? Not to spoil your list necessarily. Uh, still catching up on mm-hmm. a bunch of them, so I wouldn't won't say yet. But I will say there have been more this year that interest me than past years. I usually don't watch too many just for sake of prioritizing features. But the box office angle is very interesting to me because overall box office did pretty well this year. But the fact that we saw multiple documentaries become some of the highest grossing documentaries ever uh it's very impressive and frankly unexpected definitely um i think it probably something to do with the the topics you know like you're you're hitting mr rogers at, at just i think the right time for a lot of nostalgia driven uh in yeah interest there but uh also something like you know andre the giant or rbg who has somehow found like Ruth Bader Ginsburg somehow has found herself into like SNL skits on a somewhat regular basis and has garnered just a lot of uh, attention. The zeitgeist is pretty interesting. Uh, any trends for you that you want to throw out there to start? Uh, yeah, let's stick to the, let's stick to movies and and money earning. Um, kind of unexpected. This is not a new trend that 2018, but once again, uh, IP and sequels and just pre-established films dominated the box office yet again um and we could we saw studios reacting that way in kind but i mean you can go down like the top 14 grossing movies here in the states and the only one that (laughs) wasn't pre-established in some way was a quiet place at 12 Mm. um and then, like, if you want to go, like, expand, it's like A Star is Born. I guess it's original, but it's a the fourth yep. remake of a story, right? Won't count that. Bohemian Rhapsody, um, based off real people. Mm-hmm. Don't count that. Crazy Rich Agents, based off a book. Uh, Mission Impossible, 
the sixth movie in a series. The Grinch, it's the Grinch, <laughs> you know? And then everything else is superheroes or Star Wars or Incredibles or Jurassic World. <laughs> so, yet again, IP dominate. I mean, shit, you can go look at every movie that made at least $100 million this year, and the only like other ones that were an IP were The Meg, <laughs> which I'm pretty sure is an IP. I didn't double-check that. The Meg, Quiet Place, and uh, one other I forget. But it's like, once again, people don't pay to see stuff that they're not mm-hmm. familiar with. So, like, whenever we see, like, the Twitter reactions, oh, why are they making this? We don't need this movie. No, well, people pay to see these movies. That's why they right. get made. And, like, a movie we liked at the beginning of the year in February, Annihilation, um, Paramount sold that movie's international distribution rights to Netflix right before the movie came out because they wanted to save money because they knew no one would go to see it. And sure enough, it made $36 million in, in the U.S. and, again, didn't get an international release. Because they knew no one would go to see it, despite good reviews, despite uh, it being actually IP, but it's, you know, despite it being from an like, auteur like Alex Garland, having a talented cast and looking amazing, it didn't matter. And we've seen that trend yet again. I think there's exceptions to this. I think horror movies do well generally, uh, just as a genre. But overall, it needs to be established to make big money. So as we've talked about last year, movies that want to be original, want to be different, they can't cost that much. You can make these movies, they just need to have smaller budgets, they need need to require less of a return to justify their existence, Uh, which is kind of a shame, but that's why I always say, try and support smaller films if you can, just to show your interest, because that's how you ensure they keep getting made. Um, You know, we like A24, for example, Uh, there's a bunch of other studios like that, Uh, but on the other side of the coin, like I said, uh, A24 did partner with Apple, this year and Blumhouse who makes a lot of horror partner with Amazon. So it's like, they're not immune to these, you know, issues, but the box office did well this year. It's just, it's primarily, uh, you know, not the most original stuff. Yeah. I, I think that's a really good point. And even to expand upon that a little bit, you mentioned horror films being a genre that can be successful and not have to have that, you know, original or, or not to have that established IP. But with horror films, it's almost like you kind of know what that experience is going to be like, you know, whereas like a drama or even a comedy can be told in so many different ways. And, you know, like you can come away with different, a lot of different feelings and experiences and, and it's kind of an unknown in a sense. Horror films, you know, you're going to go in, you're going to have jump scares. You're going to have things that really freak you out, mess with your head. And like, you just know what that's going to feel like, what that's going to be like. So it's almost as if, horror as a genre in of itself is like a pre-packaged experience so uh people yeah. are, are predictable man that that's for sure so jumping back into trends or, or winners and losers how about other movies you know anything from the movies that stood out to you in terms of winners or losers this year just a bunch of actors i thought really like had strong breakouts this year some of them had been in stuff that we didn't know but really kind of came on strong or had like a a moment that I think will be a turning point in their careers. Uh, Carrie Mulligan and Wildlife yeah. is obvious. Um, Stefan, Stefan James, both in Homecoming and then Beale Street, I think is another obvious one. Uh, Billy Magusin in Maniac and Game Night. I think he's going to be in a lot of stuff moving mm-hmm. forward. Uh, Jodie Comer, just killing Eve at the TV, yep. but definitely for her. And then uh, probably my favorite breakout of the year is Vanessa Kirby from Mission Impossible Fallout. Yes, she was in uh, The Crown, so it's not that she was not mm-hmm. known, but I think she solidified herself as quite the star in Fallout. So, um, and there's other, you know, like, people that have been around the block, like John Cho, for example, mm-hmm. you know, really killing it and searching one of his first lead roles, uh, stuff like that. Um, any other, any anyone else come alive for you? Well, uh, in terms of breakout, I mean, John Krasinski, uh, as a director, uh, I think... Yeah, uh, is a breakout for me. Also, apparently, he's pretty good in Jack Ryan because he, he received a SAG nomination for that role, which I thought was surprising, but good for him. He doesn't have to be Jim Halpert the rest of his life. Um, Noah <laughs> Centennial was somebody I had down as a breakout from. Oh, jeez. Um, yeah. To all the boys I loved before. I mean, you want to talk about a glow up? This dude went from having like, like 30,000 followers on Inst- Instagrams now being like 3 million or something crazy like that. 
Yeah, you know, that actually speaks to just Netflix's ability to mint stars. Yeah. Um, we saw this, of course, with Stranger Things back, in, back you know, two years ago, but uh, Lana Condor, his co-star in To All the Buzz I Love Before, then Zoe Deitch and uh, Glenn Powell from Set It Up, same thing. Uh, they're all winners just because Netflix, that's one of Netflix's demos that they just dominate. They've taken over rom-coms, and they blow up people's socials, their stars, when the yep. movies hit, you know? Um, so yeah, shout out all of them. Yeah, and uh, one that I had as a breakout, but we can save it for. Well, I'll, I'll say it now, but we can talk more about it in TV if you want. Just uh, Jodie Comer from Killing Eve. Um, I think if there's someone that I like didn't know anything about and just totally like took my brain by storm, it would be her. Um, and then just a couple people I wanted to shout out for like leveling up this year. I felt like they were already pretty well established. Uh, Rami Malik, I thought. Uh, was a big level up. He went from being, you know, Mr. Robot, being in some smaller parts to being fucking Freddie Mercury and killing it. Like, yeah. phenomenal. He's pro- I, I expect him to get a Oscar Best Actor nom. Um, and just Brian Tyree Henry. Uh, already great on Atlanta, <laughs> yeah, yeah. but uh, everybody's talking about his, like, 12-minute scene and uh, Feel Street Could Talk Feel and uh, also voicing... Um, uh, I forgot which Spider-Man, who he is in Spider-Man, the Spider-Verse. Uh, he's he's uh, Miles' gotcha. dad. And then also, and then he's yeah, also in Widows, Widows so too. hell of a year for him. Uh, any other people you thought leveled up this year? I wouldn't say leveled up because he was already top tier, but Joaquin Phoenix had yeah. three different roles. He was in Sisters Brothers, he was in uh, Don't Worry He Won't Get Far on Foot, and he was in You Were Never Really Here, and he was also cast in The Joker. <laughs> So Joaquin killed it. Yeah, that, that's a really, really strong year for him. I can't believe I forgot him. Uh, great, great call on that. Um, just a couple of other superlatives I wanted to throw out there for movies. Uh, best Fiscock goes to Henry Cavill. I mean, just the, that that scene in general. Yeah. And also one of my favorite gifts from the year is just him loading up his fists. Fiscock. Yeah. yeah. And then <laughs> for sure. um, Dave, for best jumping out of a plane scene, who do you think I picked? Tough call. It's probably Cavill nah, too. Deadpool, right? dog. I mean, it, that would have been <laughs> one of my like favorite like ten minute scenes, and just so unexpected, jumping into the wind. Uh, Terry Crews, pretty much everybody except for Domino dies. Peter W dies in a very tragic way, and yeah, Brad Pitt. best cameo <laughs> of the year. Brad Pitt for two seconds as the Vanisher, fucking phenomenal. So, um, you know the 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 hello the helo jump in. Um, uh, Mission Impossible is great, but that is just like one of my favorite moments of the year in, in film. Anything else mm-hmm. for films for you? Uh, I think that's it. Um, yeah, it, film was interesting. I guess uh, I, I had initially pegged Claire Foy to be listed on here just because, yes, she was, uh, you know, written out of the crown, aged out, right? But she was in Versa Man, which she's probably going to get Oscar nom for. But she's also in The Girl in the Spider's mm-hmm. Web, which didn't do very well. And then First Man also underperformed. So I had pegged her as like a big winner, but eh, it's probably not as, uh, it's probably disappointing for her, all things considered. Yeah. Were there any other disappointments for you? Uh, one for me was Damien <laughs> Chazelle. Because if you, you know, a year ago when I heard about First Man, I was like, Chazelle going into space with Gosling, like, sign me up this is going to be amazing and it it definitely fell short for me i still think it's it's a well done movie but if you go back to our review i was pretty disappointed by it yeah a movie we didn't actually review but i thought was pretty disappointing was jurassic world fallen kingdom um the first jurassic world obviously was very derivative but it was kind of like the force awakens treatment you know what's this kind of redo refresh jurassic park the first one and just get people back i thought that movie was very fun and entertaining and uh lively and fallen kingdom they took a chance they were more subdued almost like horror themes just didn't think it, it it worked enough i just didn't think it was ultimately as like entertaining as it need to be which is disappointing but it made a ton of money so i don't think universal really cares <laughs> um let's see i also was disappointed that robin hood was straight garbage <laughs> um <laughs> just because I don't know. I like Taron Egerton. I like Ben mm-hmm. Mendelsohn. 
<laughs> I thought it could have been decent, yeah. you know? <laughs> yeah, um, that's a movie I'm not going to see. And, you know, you got, you got Jamie Foxx and all these other people that you really like. And I, Robin Hood just, for me, doesn't hit. Like, I just want to watch the cartoon one all the time. Yeah, I think that's kind of the takeaway <laughs> for most people is we just last year, King Arthur also didn't do well. So I think, like, edgy takes on, like, well-established old myths, ancient, medieval times stuff. I think we're good on those edgy takes. You either have to do it realistic-based, like Game of Thrones, or campy and, you know, more charismatic. Or just don't do them at all because they're not quite as prescient as myths these days. So I think we've kind of learned that lesson. Also, uh, Ocean's 8. Yeah. I didn't think it was bad. I liked it, but I just wanted to be a lot better than it was, you know? Yeah, definitely. Um, I wanted to ask you, you know, what was the, what was your most confusing choice of the year in film? I, I have one. I'll start off. I'll give you a second to think because I'm kind of springing this on you. Uh, J.K. Rowling gets my most confusing choice for basically just trying to upend her whole canon um, and really just upsetting all of her fans. Um, I still can't get over McGonagall being in this fucking movie, which just makes zero sense if you go by the Harry Potter timeline. One other movie trend I want to shout out before we move on to uh, TV and music is uh, rom-coms. Um, Crazy Rich Asians, big success box in the box office this year. Tell the boys I love before I already mentioned. Just uh, it's nice to have rom-coms coming coming back. You know, something a little lighter uh, for people to digest. Um, why don't we move on to... Yeah, Crazy Rich oh, Asians. Crazy Rich Asians, I think it was the highest grossing rom-com at the box office since 2009, since the proposal. It's been a long time. Pretty fucking good. So yeah, like I agree with you. It's nice to be back. <laughs> you know, and, and speaking of <clears throat> Crazy Rich Asians, um, something else that kind of moving into music, I think, was a trend in music was just the rise of Asian artists in you know, this year, 88 Rising uh, had, had a, a nice album that we reviewed. Check that out. Um, obviously, uh, what, BTS is fucking huge. Uh, Blackpink, another uh, group that's really breaking out. Chris Wu, Jay Park, a lot of them. Rich yeah. Brian. Um, a lot of people, had, a lot of Asian artists had, had good years, and it's really encouraging to see. Um, what are some other music trends that stood out for you yeah i guess on that on that on that vein uh uh latin artists also had a big year uh here in terms of permeating everywhere else i mean coming off of despacito last year with luis fonzi and daddy yankee now we have bad bunny who's a huge star despite not having a single album or mixtape to his name jay balvin who's been in the game a while but uh really moving now ozuna same way um Anual AA gets out of jail and just picks up right where he left off. And then artists like Drake and Cardi B really lay, uh, leaning into uh, that that sound, you know, it really speaks to how uh, prevalent and popular and well it's doing. Um, similar, speaking on the Drake front, I mean, Drake obviously had a massive year despite having a album that no one really speaks of super critically highly. It's good, but it's not, like, amazing or anything. But Drake still has, like the most top 10 hits this side of the Beatles now, like, and also shout out, uh, Drake giving a uh, Karina Evans a shot. She directed all three of his videos for his big hits. And she, I think she killed all those. God's playing nice for what and in my feelings. So shout out to Karina Evans. And of course Drake had a good year. Shocker, right? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, for real. Um, I guess also maybe a, a weird thing to shout out would just be like early two thousands, tv or in movie nostalgia in music videos a very uh a very specialized yeah. category but you know um thank you next using legally blonde mean girls and one other movie i'm forgetting uh uh 13 going on yes 30. thank you and uh drake uh using degrassi for one of his videos so shout out that for uh uh i'm upset yep. yeah so shout out those and also uh, uh but, yeah yeah the Charlie XCX and Troy Sivan made the song literally called 1999. Right. And the whole time they do all those different things uh, from the late 90s and early 2000s. Yeah, interesting. Um, yeah, I think nostalgia for that time is just very, in very. Uh, it's like a safe play, mm -hmm. you know? And that's why we see it, but it works. Definitely works. Um, 
Another music trend I thought was good and bad in a lot of ways was songs and albums becoming shorter. Um, you know, it's kind of we kind of highlighted this with uh, Ballet and his uh, mixtape Good Job earlier in the year. Um, and then it really kind of went all the way to the extreme with Tierra Whack with Whack World, a song that made it onto yep. our uh, best of 2018 album. So check that out. Um, what, what do you make of this trend or do you like it? Yeah. And of course, we saw with all the kind yes, of producer records Good Fridays. in May and June, too. Um, it's a cool trend. But I, I, I'm reluctant to call it a trend just yet because on the flip side, you have Migos, Drake, Ray Shremmerd, just recently Zane. We're getting like almost 90-minute albums from... And, and what's the common theme here? These are artists that are very popular, very famous, and they simply just make very long records to get more streams. Um, of course, there's this no fast rule. Of course, we're still getting really big artists making 40-minute albums. Uh, you know, or like 50 minutes, a normal normal length, right? So I, I, I'm reluctant to call it a trend yet just because I'm not sure if this just was like by chance or if it's like really a sign of things to mm-hmm. come, you know what I'm saying? Sure. Um, you know, the last music, I guess, trend I, I wanted to just point out, I talk about this on our uh, best albums list as well, but just female rock artists this year had a really great year. Just mm-hmm. to run down the list quick. Courtney Barnett, Lucy Dacus, Phoebe Bridgers, Boy Genius, Waxahachie, Soccer Mommy, Camp Cope, The Beths, all dropped really great albums. Um, Snail Mail. I knew I was going to forget one. So thank you for catching that for me. <laughs> um, so just really, they're, the, that's the most exciting thing in rock music, a, a dying genre, yeah. while hip-hop continues just to dominate and be very exciting. Any other, anything else you want to shout out in music? Um... Let's see. Shout the word drip. <laughs> drip had a good year this year. <laughs> There's a genius video about who invented the word drip, but <laughs> so watch really that, funny. but uh, took over. Also, shout out Ski Math Slump God, Stokely. Best album cover yes. of the year. Great album cover. Um, my, my, the only superlative I had for music was uh, Most Overrated, the 1975. Um, and TV. Why don't we wrap up with TV? Any, any trends or superlatives you want to shout out with TV? I already mentioned Jody Cummer as a breakout for me yeah we we mentioned uh netflix a little bit already but i think overall the streaming wars continue to take shape uh netflix continues to dominate netflix has the most subscribers in the u.s and is also very successful international that's where they're growing the most um they're taking over stand-up comedy they've they've taken over stand-up comedy they've taken over cooking shows um they're experimenting with reality. They're doing everything. They're just tape, getting footholds everywhere they can. Rom-coms. To, uh, we talked about that already. Um, meanwhile, Amazon, for example, we know they shell out all that money just to have the ability to adapt Lord of the Rings, right? $500 uh, million just to be able to start making the show that will cost hundreds of millions of dollars. But then Amazon shows, did they quite have the, the footprint you would think? I mean, Homecoming... Me and you like it, critically liked, but we can't really speak to how popular that was. And then a show like Jack Ryan, I think we each mentioned that already, but I think it, it was decently well-liked, but we can't really speak to how popular it was. Sneaky Pete, same way. And then Romanov's was a high-profile flop. So I think Amazon continues to be in an interesting space. Um, I mentioned they have their new Blumhouse relationships. We'll see how that goes. Um, and then Hulu is in a huge holding pattern right now because... The Fox Disney merger, if and when that goes through, Disney will now have controlling interest in that. So Hulu, I mean, can you name a Hulu original that came out this year besides The Handmaid's Tale? Um, nothing comes to mind for me. I know there's one or two, uh, Killing Eve's on there, but that, they, they were it was in a Hulu show, you know. Um, and then Apple continues to announce uh, shows they're making, but they've yet to describe their platform. Uh, and I, or have any of these shows go into development so apple still feels a little further away i know um variety predicted that they might perhaps try and purchase a major studio such as sony which would be very interesting um and then we, we finally got disney plus unveiled to a certain extent and got some shows for that um so i think just the streaming wars continue to take shape and then you have the smaller ones are like cbs and amc premiere and i think 
there's just going to be like haves and have nots with this. And we, we, there's still a lot of unknowns, but I think the one certainty is that Netflix will always be a have. They spend yes. the most money, they make the most stuff, and the most people watch them. So I think just, it, we talked about Roma a lot already. Uh, it's tough to really talk about TV at, at all without talking about how Netflix affects it and will continue to drive everything everyone else does. Yeah, Netflix, what a disruptor to this whole uh, system. You know, you go back, what, even like 10 years ago and it was the DVD service and now it's mainly the streaming service. Maybe 10, maybe, yeah, 10 years actually seems about right. It was the DVD service still. Um, you know, it's uh, just, a, it's also interesting, you kind of mentioned it, but the I, the IP wars on top of these streaming wars is really interesting. You know, um, John Favreau's The Mandalorian um, we've been seeing some some pictures and some sneak peeks, um, but like you mentioned, Laura, the cast is incredible. Yeah, it's a great oh cast. Um, shout out Gus Fring, dog. Like, give me all all the Gus Fring. Uh, but it, it's it's going to be interesting to see which of these IPs really flesh out and work. I think we already know Game of Thrones is probably going to be successful. I mean, it, they'd have to really. Uh, I think fudge it up in order for it to not still drive people to HBO, and HBO is not really in this conversation is like a, a streaming source that's going to be super affected by these things i don't think yeah well and it's interesting too because we know that um hbo is under warner media now mm-hmm. right and we know that there was like those headlines about that hbo having content changes and like it walked it back but then we saw that warner media wants to make a bigger uh fleshed out service i mean obviously there's a lot of content there it makes some sense and hbo will be kind of part of that so a lot of questions. But the key thing that happened this year was that they chose to sell a friend to Netflix for another year rather than put it on HBO, mm-hmm. something they own, or put it on their new thing that's clearly not ready yet. So while we know that everyone else wants to get in the streaming wars, uh, not everyone is ready to truly compete. And simply, Netflix just had to write a, a big enough check for Warren to be like, yeah, we'll give you our most popular thing. And now their talk is that when they're ready, friends might stay on Netflix and not be exclusive to the Warner thing. So there is a lot of stuff going on, and it is, it'll be interesting to see how HBO uh, relates to the changes going on at Warner overall. Definitely. Any superlatives for TV for you? Uh, great comeback this year, Brendan Fraser in Trust. I know one of the best TV episodes of the year was on Trust, but Brendan Fraser, not been in our lives yet, <laughs> uh, recently. And he came back in a nice way, so that's nice to see. Uh, you mentioned Jodie Comer. Um, TV's funny because overall trend is that movie stars continue to be going mm-hmm. to TV. Uh, to the small commitment, right? Julia Roberts, Jonah Hill, Emma Stone, famously this year, Amy Adams... Who do you think did it the best out of like the group that that really went this year from the big screen to the small screen? I think probably Julie Roberts for me. I like all four of them. Uh, it's a tough question. I think they all did good. Uh, they all had very different roles. I'd say Amy Adams or Julia. I think Julia Roberts was playing off type, and uh, Emma Stone was a little bit too. So I think that gets some extra points for me. But uh, we're going to keep seeing this, and... Uh, oh, and we, I remember mean, Roman Ops again. There were some big stars on that, too. Uh, not, again, not that we really cared. <laughs> but uh, then Krasinski uh, going back yep. to TV after flexing his muscles on The Quiet Place and uh, the Benghazi mm. movie. So t- TV is always going to be, uh, right now, is going to be where people continue to go. And especially if Netflix continues to make new people famous overnight, uh, people that are already famous really can easily see the benefits of joining a streaming service for the small commitment, you know, it's, it, it's pretty easy to, uh, connect all the dots. Yeah, I def, I, I totally agree. And I also, you know, this is my, my breakout director for TV for the year and someone I hope gets either a contract with, um, you know, HBO or Netflix, like someone just let, lets him create, um, Park Chan Wook from Little Drummer Girl, I think uh, for oh, yeah. being an unknown, uh, to most people, he really broke out with his style in that show. We talk about it at length in our best TV shows of the year, so go back and check that out. And also our review of Drummer Girl, we give him a lot of praise. But he's he's my breakout. I'd like, like to see him get uh, a bigger property to work with moving forward. Anything else for TV, Dave? 
you know, it's funny. When I first started compiling this list, uh, you know, a few months ago, um, I had Pete Davidson knocked down as a uh, winner of the year. <laughs> and in a sense, I would still say he is a winner because he got much more famous and more exposure and brand recognition and all that. On the other hand, it seems like he's having a tough time right now. So it's tough to yeah. tough to be too positive about that. But I, I was leading, I feel like, career-wise, he, he, he did pretty nice this year despite just being his normal SNL safe, uh, self and uh, doing some Sundance movies. You know? Yeah, you know, Pete Davidson's struggles are very public. Um, and I appreciate that. And I also really feel for him for that. He's obviously uh, going through a lot with this breakup with Ariana. Um, he's got a terrible song named after him now that he will follow him yeah. around forever. So, um, yeah, no, I, I hope he gets the help he needs, but I would agree. I think he's also a winner. Uh, SNL does not utilize him correctly, which is too bad. They can't, they can't really figure out a way to use him. So, um, Any other TV trends before we wrap up? Um. You know, I think I think that 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 nails it pretty well. Those are our winners um, and losers good year. this year, then. Pretty good, Dave. Pretty pretty good. Pretty good. Pretty pretty, pretty good, good year for uh, <laughs> all the all the pop culture. And uh, if you want to keep sticking with us into 2019, hit that subscribe button on YouTube. Go to Nostal- at Nostalgia Pod on Twitter, and uh, give us a follow there and interact with us. We always like hearing from you. And uh, give us five stars on iTunes. We appreciate you. And next week, be looking for our best movies. And I don't think we're going to be talking anything else. Maybe 21 Savage? 21. Perhaps. Perhaps. Maybe we'll say that for the next, the week after. Uh, Aquaman, Mary Poppins, Bumblebee. A lot of other movies that are coming out. So we'll talk about some other stuff. 21. Probably the week after movies. I think movies will be a long enough discussion on its own. Definitely. So tune into that podcast. Uh, And we'll see you next week. Happy holidays.